Hello, and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the Salon of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the sixth Hinterview podcast for the 2008-2009 international season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind the productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, Artistic Director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with a production. In this Hinterview podcast, I was lucky enough to speak with Morris Podbury, founder and former artistic director of the Centaur Theatre in Montreal and producer behind Laura Foot Newton's Japan which played at the NAC studio from March 10th to the 21st. And now, here is Morris Potter. Uh, my name is Sean Fitzpatrick. I'm communications officer for the NAC English Theatre. Uh, Peter is away on assignment today. Um, like all artistic directors this time of year, he's working on next season as well. And as subscribers, you'll be receiving early next week a invite, sneak peek, postcard, uh, telling you about our launch on April 14th in the Panorama Room, so we'll look forward to seeing you then. So today's guest is Maurice Podbury. Sadly, he couldn't be here either. (laughs) (laughs) Maurice is the founder and former artistic director of Montreal Centaur Theatre Company. Maurice returned to his native home of South Africa in 1997, where he established Mopo Productions to support the development of performing arts, including the production and touring of important new work both within South Africa and abroad. Chapong has toured South Africa, Europe, Amsterdam, London, Stockholm, Zurich, Geneva, Dublin, Vienna, and Australia, as well as presented at the Rolex Awards Conference in New York. He is a member of the Order of Canada, and it's our pleasure to welcome him today. Thank you. Actually, I must add that my wife also got the order two weeks ago. Isn't that something? Eh? So before, nice. hmm? <laughs> sorry. So before we jump in, oh. just one question. It's been a number one question amongst the office, the marketing department, uh, box office. The proper pronunciation of Chapon. Uh Podbury. Oh, of oh, <laughs> uh, the show itself. Jeez, that's ego run wild. <laughs> Uh, tsepang, tsepang. Tsepang. Tsepang, you don't actually make, it's not S-H, it's rather T-S. Tsepang. But the T-S sounds a bit like that Italian sound when they're reprimanding somebody. And that's that sound. Tsepang. Tsepang. But I struggle with these sounds in South Africa. They have four different clicks, you know, in the Zulu language. I've got one which I use for all of them. So, when you retired from the Centaur, uh, when did you decide to go back to South Africa? Well, immediately. I knew that I was going back. That's, yeah, it was part and parcel of the retirement. Well, retirement, yeah, I still a step down. Retirement sounds too passive. But I stepped down. I knew I was going back to South Africa, and uh, it was uh, a marvelous, uh, fortuitous arrangement. Mm. Well, that's great. You'll so, ask me why now. That's what I was going to oh. say. 
Well, um, I had met uh, Laura Foote Newton, who wrote this play that uh, some of you have seen, some of the rest of you, I hope, will see, uh, had, uh, had brought a play from the Market Theatre in Johannesburg to Montreal, to the, th- to the Centaur Theatre, a play called Take the Floor, a lovely, light-hearted piece about ballroom dancing, which confused the audience immensely. They're expecting some highly charged political piece, and instead of which this rather fey, beautiful uh, production emerged. Anyhow, uh, she and I made contact then. She went back to South Africa, and she urged me to possibly come back and, and uh, add my experiences to the boiling pot, to the melting pot that was South Africa at that point. So uh, there was that connection already, and I'd kept in touch with writers like Ethel Fugard and so on. So I had a connection with South Africa, but I didn't know what awaited me when I went back. That was pretty much of an unknown. Well, you went back in 1997. 97, yeah. And so there was a different landscape that was going on at that time. Very, so, very different, yeah. yeah. There was a sort of a deconstruction as opposed to a reconstruction in the, in the cultural field. Uh, the situation had been that there had been these large edifices, one in each major city, which had been the recipients of government funding, and they themselves had, had arranged around them a pyramid of uh, performing arts groups, dance, theater, and so on. But these edifices, these large cultural centers, had drawn the ire of the new political African National Congress because they'd also been the conveyor of the apartheid attitude and philosophy. Blacks were not allowed in the audiences, etc., etc., or on the stage sharing productions. So when the new government came in, rather unwisely, I think, they cut their funding to half and lost a tremendous resource in that experience. A bit like the, what the Russians did to Napoleon, eh? that sort of uh, burnt scorched earth policy, which was, I think, short-sighted. Because they took that money and they put it into a pot, much like the Cabinet Council, which they now disperse in small allotments to many, many, many people. Just enough money or just enough rope, in my estimation, to hang yourself with. So they've left us with a country in which there is no infrastructure, cultural infrastructure, and lots of small community groups struggling to raise their head above the water. And that situation still pertains today. And that's the situation that I met when I went back. Now, for this production itself, was the, when, could you want to, maybe want to tell us a little bit of the history of, behind uh, it, the story and how Laura came to... Uh, um, there's a danger in, <laughs> I've toured this play now six, seven countries, and the big problem is in marketing the idea of this play without frightening people away. Because it was born out of a very tragic event that took place in the Northern Cape. And if you know the geography of South Africa, the Northern Cape is inhabited mainly by what they call the colored population group. People descendant of slaves in the 19th century that were brought in from Malaysia, and Indonesia, and then also joining in with Aboriginal Bushmen and mixed marriage products, and they now form a community called the Coloured Population. And they inhabit that territory in the Northern Cape largely, and they speak Afrikaans, or at least a dialect of Afrikaans, which is the Dutch language, which which was um, which which uh, was formed in South Africa. 
And in this community, in a small village called Louisville-Vech, a tiny village of a couple of thousand people, a terrible incident had occurred. A child of nine months, it was reported, had been, had been raped by six men. I'm trying to find another word for it. Uh, and this news hit the headlines like a bolt of lightning, not only for South African media, but media around the world. And what it did was to highlight an incident that is, that is only too common across South Africa and has elicited a public response, which is vigilant still today. And people are fighting with, fighting, they're, they're, they're campaigning against it, they're forming community groups, they're doing everything they can to counter this. The incident is born out of poverty, both material and, and, and spiritual. And in the play, there are many, many things pointed at which will help to understand in some measure how these things take place. But there's no final answer to it. I've lived with this issue now for half a dozen years, and I'm not a great deal wiser about why, why someone will, will, will commit a crime of that nature. But the play has illuminated that issue without providing any too easy answers. Um, and uh, we have taken this play around South Africa and around the world, and the response has been astonishing. Uh, people have embraced the play uh, and been somewhat stunned by the message. I must say that on opening night of the tour, of the, of the production actually, was in Amsterdam, at a thing called the Roots Festival. The actors finished their first performance. They came out for their bow. There was total silence in the audience, not a sound. This freaked them. This was their first performance. Did the audience hate it? They had no idea. They withdrew backstage, they changed into their street clothes and left the theater and 250 people were waiting for them in the street and cheered them as they came out. And that has been something, a measure of what happens throughout the tour, what has happened throughout the tour. Now I've already, I, Laura gave me the play very kindly to do a Afrikaans language production of the play with a new cast and I took it through the Northern Cape. In fact, I took it to the very village where the story originates. And I also, just before coming here, did a Zulu language production of this play. Uh, I grew up in that part of the country and I still have a smattering of Zulu, especially all the swear words. Uh, and that was very successful, it was a three week tour. So we've, we've, we've uh, produced this play fairly exhaustively. So in the tour, have you found, you said that the reaction has been pretty much the same. Has there been some differences depending on the area that you've been in? Like we'll say for, for Canada alone, you've been to Toronto and Montreal before coming here. Yes. Have you seen a difference in oh, response or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Canadian audiences are very polite, as you would guess. Uh, South African audiences are vociferous. They laugh uproariously at the humor they join in, they take issue of things they don't agree with publicly, vocally. So there's much more of an exchange in the, in the, in the theaters in South Africa. Here there's definitely a performer audience formality which persists. And there's a, sometimes a, a light titter will run through the audience. But um, 
Otherwise, it's very, very quiet and respectful. So yes, there's a big difference in response. But that has been so ever right through the tour. I think in, in, in some measure, the reason for that is people are not quite used to the accent. And so they're listening and not wanting to lose a word. And so they don't laugh. There are issues that contribute to that. But by and large, uh, I think they feel a bit that they need to be respectful. <laughs> uh, in South Africa, people are not burdened with that expectation. With uh, the production itself, um, I thought we might talk a little bit of how Laura got to the, of the creation. There's two actors on stage, and only one speaks through. And it, I was lucky enough to see it on Thursday night, and it is possibly one of the most powerful presentations I've seen on stage. It's still in my head right now as I speak about it. Um, I was thinking about that yesterday, and how when she decided to have it play out the way that it does, where Simon is the only voice that really speaks for the show. Is there, was there, did she ever think about going the other way with Ruth having it, or it was always going to be in that direction, do you know? She, so the playwright herself had a child of nine months, coincident with this story coming through, and felt she wanted to do something about it, but she worked in the theater, so she chose to write a play. What would she do in a situation like this? What would she say? As a person, not as a playwright. And she, she could not think of a thing that she would say that would be equal to the horror of that as a mother. And out of that grew the idea of this rather mute character who is anything but mute in her presence. Her presence, I think, adds up to a tragic figure of incredible dimension, but without words. And Simon is the one who is an old friend who comes to look after her after the tragedy has passed, and she has been left and somewhat ostracized by the community. He comes to care for her. He was a friend in their childhood days. And he gives us the story of the village. He interacts with people as they go by. He shows us the figurines that he has carved, which are nativity figures. And in the nativity figures image or metaphor comes a whole idea of the child being the, the, the girl Christ, that, that, that Jesus had a sister. And she is the one who has come to carry the burden of children, bear the burden of children, so that they can survive and they can live and have a happy life and have a mother and a father. So out of that seed has grown a, a, a powerful metaphorical play. And adding to this, or adding to it, or really in a too large measure responsible for it, is the designer, a man called Gerard Marx, who comes from a background of sculpture and fine arts. And um, sometimes in the theater we suffer from design being a backdrop which is merely decorative or indicative of what the play is about. Uh, he brought a, an approach that was organic. He created uh, elements that tell the story. This is hearkening back to an African storytelling tradition where you have very few means, but you use whatever you have there in a multitude of ways to tell the narrative. And he has created this incredible environment of images which repeat and multiply and create new layers of understanding. So he and Lara formed this uh, marvelous team 
and uh, complement each other in an incredible way, which you need to see. I couldn't, I couldn't do justice <laughs> to it uh, sufficiently. He, uh, it's led us to now look in that field more and more for designers for the theater. It's a very rich background, and it, it's a different approach somewhat to uh, maybe what one would call conventional theater design, something I like very much. Well, you hinted at before at the beginning of this, when you talked about um, going back to South Africa and keeping in touch when you met Laura here in Montreal and keeping in touch with artists that were there. I was thinking about um, some of the articles I've read where you've talked about, and you talked briefly about what's, how it's different from now for um, mm -hmm. theater. Uh, the new, I guess Laura is one of the new playwrights that you've talked about, and maybe something about how does that, their voices being heard in South Africa now comparatively to before? Well, with the absence of, of an infrastructure, I think the biggest victims of that have been the playwrights. They have nowhere to attach themselves to. They have no confidence that whatever they might write would get a production. And so we have a dearth of, of playwrights. After having such marvelous giant figures like Athel Fugard during the protest years, there's suddenly a vacuum. And what has replaced that is community productions, uh, usually sort of collective creations where a group of actors will get together, seize an idea from the headlines on the newspaper, and put together, improvise a play over a period of a few weeks. And I was called upon a couple of times to adjudicate these plays, and I tried to be honest with these people and say there was evidence of great talent here, but the plays themselves are, are really cuck not to put too fine a word on it. And okay, if you are so smart, they said, come and show us how to do it. So I ended up on one occasion actually living in a black township near Port Elizabeth. I was the only white guy in this, in this township. And we worked together on a new idea. And I think the product was quite interesting and was better than some of the collective creations, but again, never reached the sort of insight that a writer will bring to it, who is trained and whose discipline and whose talent is in writing. You can't replace that. In the beginning is the word. And I, uh, I hold to that testament. It's, to me, it's, it's, it's a biblical truth. But we, we did something, and uh, what I'm trying to... Sorry, I'm not, I'm not leaping. Yeah, so, so we have that problem across South Africa right now. Uh, what I'm trying to do now, and Laura is helping, is I'm trying to persuade the government to support a program of development which takes a number of these community groups, those that have shown some talent and durability, and over a period of three years, elevate them to a level of self-sustainability and professionalism. I would oversee their training. I've offered to do that, whatever training may, may be required, and the government will provide funding for two productions a year, and hopefully after three years we can demonstrate that we have three or four now permanent theater companies that can, that can look after themselves, and we would take that example and spread it nationwide. And within a decade, I think we could change the face of the country theatrically. It will also be my swan song. I don't have that many years left to engage on that, <laughs> that type of intensity, but it is, that is my present goal. Meanwhile, we just do whatever productions are required and we answer whatever needs come up. And they come up all the time. I have five marvelous projects waiting for me in South Africa. The trouble is that no matter how well we do them, 
at the end of them they will disappear because there's no institution that can sustain them and carry them through to another year and to a following year and tour them and oversee that sort of care and uh, attention. So it's, 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 it's very inviting in one way because whatever you do achieve stands there like a beacon in the desert and reverberates because it is unusual and it's an achievement of some magnitude. And that is very rewarding if you can achieve that. But it is also discouraging in as much as it does not last. It doesn't carry forward. It's not built upon. It's one thing that is incandescent and then it fades away. And that's the situation still today. But we have now in Cape Town a new generation of young black talent that is truly inspiring. Two of them have just been performing in a production in Toronto called Ubuntu, at the, and, and, and they, that is a product of four years of collaboration. Uh, in the last couple of years, there have been three productions coming out of this group. My daughter, who lives in Montreal, who's an actor and director, came to South Africa and assisted in the dramaturgy of one of these plays, and we took it into the townships. There's also a problem in Cape Town that it is probably the least integrated city in the country in terms of ethnicities. And after years of trying to bring a black audience into the city center, we've now given up on that and we take the plays into the townships. And of course, there's a problem of having facilities and so on, but it's, it's, it's proved to be much more rewarding than the awful problem of bussing people into the center. Um, and we're trying to get the plays now translated into the African languages. There are 11 official African languages. The Zulu language play was translated and is published. And we're hoping to get it into the school textbook uh, syllabus. And um, Lara's new play, um, Karoo Moose. Karoo is the desert area in the middle of the country. And a moose is a moose. You know what a moose is. Canadians know what moose Moose is. Uh, and a moose is donated to a zoo in South Africa, and it gets there, and then unfortunately it runs loose, a loose moose. <laughs> and uh, the, village, the villagers spy this thing, and it ends up in this pot, and the police come looking for it, and all they can find are the beautiful horns. But into that story is built another one, which uh, happens within the community itself. It's a lovely piece, which is going to be performing at the Tricycle Theatre in London in June. So she has written a number of plays since this one. Uh, and it's again with that same troupe of young black talent in Cape Town. And I've just identified a group in Durban that might add up to the same sort of talent. And uh, Port Elizabeth, yeah. So the work goes on. Hey, my favorite piece of graffiti in South Africa was found on a Cape Town wall. It said, the road to the future is always under construction. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like living in Ottawa, actually. Um, so one of the other things you, you talked a bit about earlier about the touring when you went around South Africa. And when we talked about this in December, you told me the story about when you actually went to the community where the, mm. the story took place. Um, I, I was, that story has actually been in my head, especially after I saw the production. Uh, and I thought that maybe if you wanted to tell a little bit about that, because I, I, I think that that's a really yeah. interesting part of this uh, tour and how well, everything's gone. Yeah, well, I was committed to doing this Afrikaans language tour of the Northern Cape. 
I made the mistake of doing it in, 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 January, in January, February, where the temperature starts at 40 degrees in the morning. Uh, that took a few years of my life. But we did a five-week tour, one-night stands. And the way I did it was to go to the high school and speak to the principal and say, we will do this show free for your senior students if you will then organize the community into a second night production. And they did that. And that's how I set up this five-week tour. And it was amazingly successful. But I had two actors, again. And the lead actor came from that very village where the incident took place originally. Actually, we, we met, I met him on a, a work gang. He was working on the roads with a pick, with a line of people in yellow shirts digging the road. And the guy said to me, that guy there, he's an actor. So I went and interrupted their work and gave him a script, which he shoved into his pants. And he carried on working. And he met me a couple of days later and did a reading and was marvelous. And he turned out to be my actor. And he comes from that very village. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we were approaching that village with some trepidation. Uh, the mother is still living there. I heard from the... Um, the preacher, the congregational church preacher, that we should not come to that village. He had had enough publicity. They felt that there'd be enough bad publicity given to that village over the years. But the African National Congress committee said, no, you go there, never mind him. They used a different word when they just said. And uh, so I went. Now, the mother let it be known that she was going to come and see the play which again frightened me somewhat because she's rather seriously indicted in the play. So I had a social worker go speak to her, and uh, she did, and the mother never showed, which I was rather grateful for. But the village turned out in mass and gave it a tremendous response. Actually, at the beginning of the tour, we were approaching the very village where the child is now living. The child has been adopted, is now probably seven years old at that point, I was told by the social workers in that town, the town is called Springbok, where the child is now living, that she has done quite well. She has recovered physically and psychologically as much as one knows. And uh, they asked me not to bring the play to that town, which of course I respected, and we circled, circled the, the town. And that was an incredible tour, an incredible tour, because everywhere we went, that, that story is known, it's legend. It's iconic. So we, 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 we started the play with a tremendous recognition already present in the audience. That <laughs> uh, was very interesting. So thank you very much. Our next interview is in two weeks. That's all for this edition of the Hinterview Podcast. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to hinterviews at gmail.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can easily find us for a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. 
If you would like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theater, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theater on Facebook by entering NAC English Theater into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.